It started with a beautiful summer day in 2005 on the softball diamond. My best friend Taylor and I played for a local travel league team, and I was going to spend the night if we won out all three games that day. We did, so we excitedly jammed out to Backstreet Boys as I gathered my things to head to her house. She lived just off Main Street in downtown Smithfield, Virginia. If you've never been, my college friend took two steps down the cobblestone street and said, this is like a postcard for a fantasy small town where everyone bursts into song. It's a close-knit community, but one that's constantly changing and diverse. I miss it always. Taylor's home was a two-story, then 95-year-old house with a wide porch for sitting and a backyard filled with sports balls of all kinds. We spent several hours playing with her dogs and guinea pig, but eventually headed back into her room to prank call guys in our grade. Her parents were at a neighbor's home just a walk away, and her older brother was out on a date. We were alone, but it was no big deal as we were about 10 or 11. We started watching That's So Raven as we posted up on her bunk bed. She stretched out on the bottom while I crawled up to the top one. For relevancy, her bunk beds were pushed against the back wall, parallel to the doorway. I sat up on the mattress, which was facing her TV. It was likely around midnight when we finally calmed down enough to sleep. It had been a while since I'd spoken to Taylor, so I assumed she nodded off. I slowly patted down the ladder, and my theory was confirmed. My friend was curled up with our blue and gold Smithfield High baseball blanket. Even by that time, I knew exactly which stairs to dodge as I made my way to the kitchen. You make one wrong step, and the upcoming squeak would wake up everyone within a two-mile radius. When I made it to her fridge, I felt a wave of unease overwhelm me. The familiarity of her house was so much different once the world was dark and quiet. I hastily grabbed a water bottle and half sprinted through the decorative bay window doors. The only light guiding me was from the TV, the flickers of scene changes bleeding into the hallway. I reached the top of the stairs and felt a cold breeze. And not just a small puff, but a wind strong enough to ruffle my ponytail. Weird, yes, but my 10-year-old brain was just like, just get into bed and under the covers, you'll be fine. I did, and pretty soon forgot about my hallway heebie-jeebies when I overheard Taylor's brother return from his date. His room was just past Taylor's, so he popped his head in to wave goodnight and shut our door as he turned in for the night. I finally decided to tear myself away from the Disney marathon and scooted back into my bed. I shut my eyes and let the canned laughter lull me to sleep. But sleep wasn't in the cards for me that night. Five minutes passed, and I bolted upright, something I can only describe as a fight-or-flight reflex shocking me awake. The heavy wooden door her brother shut was now wide open, the knob banging itself against a bookshelf. I froze, thinking the brother had returned to scare us, but the only figure outside the door was a petite woman. A navy blue dress outlined with a white hem was at least three strides from the room. Pallid skin glowed in contrast with the dark clothing, bony hands wringing themselves over and over. Her dark hair was pulled back into a bun so tightly I could see skin creases along her forehead. But what sticks with me even in my most recent nightmares, is the dark, ragged holes in her face. They were where eye sockets would be 
but they were so large, they extended well past the bottom of her nose. She knew I was there. She wanted me to see her suffering. But then, she moved. It was so fast, her form skipping like a loading YouTube video. She phased out of my vision as her body moved into the guest bathroom, through a wall. I don't remember screaming. I don't remember anything until Taylor's brother lifted me from the top bunk, yelling at me to calm down. A piss-poor tactic, honestly. Taylor was immediately awoken, demanding details of my outburst. I blubbered out some means of eyes, lady, door, bathroom. Taylor shrugged and said, oh, she saw the mom. Her brother chastised her for being so casual, as I was still shaking. They spent four more years in that home, and I spent many more nights with bizarre occurrences, but never quite as damning as that. One summer, I returned home from college, and I ran into her at a local bar. I finally thought to ask her what she meant about the mom all those years ago. Taylor told me there was a mother, a father, and a son who lived in the home after its first renovation in the 1940s. Turns out, the mother jumped from the second floor after hearing the father lost his life in Europe during World War II. The boy was maybe five or six when the mother died, but he stayed with the neighbors, also his family, likely his aunt and uncle, for a few years before he died after being hit by a car on a nearby rural highway. It makes me feel so weird that I had some of my favorite childhood memories in a house with so much sorrow. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum. And this is... Oh, you're supposed to say in this. Fuck, we did it so good last time. <laughs> I feel like it changes every time. I'm Michael Tatum, and this... Is Ghoul Intentions. Yay! That'll work. That's fine. We'll get there eventually. Somewhere yeah. nested in all our attempts is the actual thing. That's right. So I think that's what counts, is they get to see the, how the sausage is made. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's called witty repartee. Repartee. <laughs> repartee. Reparty. Reparty. <laughs> I like a good reparty. Reparty. That party was good. Let's go back and reparty. Um, Let's okay, re so <laughs> that opening was from Katie. Ooh, Katie. Strong. Has, very, yeah, very so strong. Good. So she has a little more to the story, and I wanted to read it. Yeah, yeah. She started it, Hey there, ghouligans. It's your boy Katie from Katsukan. <laughs> so she's the one who saw the ghost in the elevator. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I have a short update from that incident. Tim, a.k.a. the man cosplaying Bakugo, the one I was trying to... Um, get busy with, <laughs> has followed me on Instagram. Obviously, we're meant to be. You go, girl. I love it. Anyway. Matchmaker, <laughs> matchmaker, make me a match. The ghost was just trying to match them. Exactly. So, um, she said, I told you I'd give you the creepy details from my hometown, my workplace, and general spooky facts from my life. I'm still working to put together the experiences I had in Colonial Williamsburg and Bush Gardens Hallow Scream as there's a lot to explain from those days back in 2011 and 2012, so stand by. I figured I'd tell Ghoul Intentions the story of my first ghostly experience of my life. Well, at least the one I remember consciously. So thank you for reading. I'll be sure to send you my Williamsburg series of Ghostly Colonial Virginia when that's done. Thank you again for being the best podcast for my commutes. Let me know if y'all will be at a con near Virginia. Sweet. I'll be in Richmond in a few weeks. 
So, yeah. Nice. Uh, would love to share a whiskey mule with you. Much love from Virginia, Katie. We had these mules in oh Houston. Oh, my God. They're it was a so whiskey mule, good. But it oh. had peach in it. God, oh. it was so good. Um, yeah, so. What's, so the other drink? What's the other drink we had when we were in Houston? Um, that was like they were oh, they made like with like the smoke and they put it under fashion. a bell jar yeah. and they'd come it out so the smoke would come out and it was like drinking it's it it was really I, by saying this it's going to sound like I'm saying it was disgusting but those who drink know I mean this in a good way yeah. it tasted like I was drinking a leather couch it was so good yeah like with a leather a couch in an old <laughs> library with a little yeah. bit of orange yeah right it was so good it was really good it was called like. Texas honey like something and it, yeah 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 it was good it was so good but them Kentucky mules yeah not like a good oh, mule man. to go with a ghost story uh so what's our the title yeah what's our title it is the story you believe Ooh. and that is from uh, imaginary girls by Nova Rinsuma the entire quote is the story you choose to tell isn't always the story you believe Oh, yes. very relevant yeah. for my story. Right. I don't know which one you're doing, but I guess I'm... Well, I'll tell you when I'm getting there. Yeah, oh my God. How much do you know about the story I'm going to do? I don't think I know anything about the story you're going to well, do. Well, I'll tell you, and I'm, I'm going to kind of bookend my story, which is really... I, I knew a lot about it beforehand, but I, did, I dug uh, a little deeper just to kind of... Um, it kind of, you know... To buttress my facts, so to speak. But um, I'll bookend it with the reason I know the story so well is because there's a kind of a personal connection. Uh, yeah, to something that happened to my great-grandmother. Oh, But I'll, I'll get to that. So I'm doing, it's kind of a, it's kind of a UFO, kind of a visitors, visitors, alien visitors kind of story or who knows. But, um, so it's a little, it's not ghostly, but it sure as hell is fucking scary. Okay. I, I'm doing my story on the famous 1955 Kelly, Kentucky incident. It's called the Kelly incident. The Kelly. Yeah. And it's, um. Does it have anything to do with a Blue Book value of anything? No, but oh. Project Blue Book has a role to play in this story, well, as it so happens. But I don't think they were studying the value of cars. Mm -hmm. um, so let's just dive in, shall we? Yeah. I think this case is notable because so many people uh, witnessed it at one time over a fairly long period of time, like over an entire evening, oh. uh, which for such things is kind of rare. So... Let me start with the phrase little green men because the story is often known as it's about a farmhouse being you know ransacked by this this volley of little green men Martians or what have you and that that's the claim and so it's often known as the as the little green men incident but the phrase little green men entered the lexicon on Halloween night 1938 with Orson Welles's notorious radio drama War of the Worlds. Yes. Which, as I you know, know sent one. thousands of people scrambling into their cellars believing an actual Martian invasion was afoot. I could do a whole story about that. But for those of you that don't know, back in the day when people used to listen to radio dramas, a very young Orson Welles who founded and, and acted in the radio uh, company called the Mercury Theater did uh, a really good like, it holds up really well, radio drama adaptation of H.G. H.G. Wells's mm -hmm. War of the Worlds. And when it aired, it was a special Halloween night episode, but if you didn't tune in on time, 
uh, if you tuned in late, you were thought you were listening to a news broadcast right. that had interrupted. And they they had it framed where like they started it with, hey, this is Orson Welles' Mercury Theater, and we're doing War of the Worlds, welcome, sit back, enjoy kind of thing. And then they kind of, you know, they'd have a band playing music, and like they, they were like live from a ballroom or something listening to some band, and then it would be interrupted by like, oh, sorry, we're, we're getting reports of like flying saucers landing and blah, blah, blah. And so if you didn't listen to the crucial first few minutes of this right, broadcast, everyone just thought they were listening to an actual live report that kept interrupting a music program and that eventually it became like okay we're just going to get rid of the music all right and we're going to follow this thing is all over the world these these play these these um uh ufos these saucers or these meteors rather with people inside of them are are crashing and little green men are coming out and just running amok and so right. people freaked the fuck out uh, I had uh, some people in my family, uh, some some distant relatives that that got in their cellars and were like with their guns, like oh we're waiting for oh, wow. But that's not my my great grandmother who I mentioned earlier was not one of these. I'll um, say that <clears throat> it had such a effect on just pop culture mm -hmm. that when uh, on September 11th, when the yes. towers were hit, I was in the car turned on the radio and heard it and I thought it was a radio drama and I thought it for about half an hour till I wow. changed it because it was too dark I was like this is dark and I changed the radio and it was on the next station and it was on the next station oh, wow. and that's when I realized it was real it wasn't just a radio drama wow you'd never told me that before yeah it was really that's crazy you know yeah. when that when the towers fell I was in an office I worked in an office um, I was a receptionist for this ad firm that shared floor space with a direct TV office and they had a big flat screen in their atrium mm -hmm. which was playing and it was playing it as I walked in. I heard it on the radio as I was parking uh, and well I heard on the way to work I heard it and then like I heard like more on the radio as I was parking and then I came in the building. I was always one of the first people to show up because I had to get the office and everything ready so I usually showed up at 8. 8.30, and then uh, I could see the second plane hit the towers. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, shit. And then it, then it hit me that it wasn't an accident. Like, I thought, right. when I first heard it, I remember thinking, well, didn't a few years ago some little Cessna or something crashed into a building? Because that yeah. had happened. And I was like, oh, it must be, oh, that's terrible. But it didn't strike me how terrible until I was like, oh, it's a commercial jet. Oh, shit. And there yeah. was another one. So, yeah, that was crazy. But can you imagine being, you know, for the time, 1938, radio was all people had. You right. know, radio yeah, and, and each other to keep each other company. And so that was their main source of news. And it was a brilliant concept on Orson oh, Welles' yeah. part. But he actually, he did actually have to, if I remember correctly, there was a congressional hearing about like, you know, kind of the ethics of presenting things in that way uh, with, with something that's sought to be a chief news source. So it, did, it changed the game a little bit. There were some laws to come out or some at least some ethics guidelines for uh, broadcasting agencies that came out of the Orson Welles War of the Worlds thing. Um, but that is incidentally also where the phrase Little Green Men came from because mm -hmm. that that's from War of the Worlds and you know, imagine hearing that in Orson Welles' gorgeous voice. So... So that was 1938, Halloween night, 1938. And if you haven't heard the old radio broadcast, uh, you should. I think it's still actually pretty compelling. They were so not as jaded. <laughs> Can you imagine something happening Halloween ever be like, it's fucking Halloween, this is not real. Yeah, fake. fake. <laughs> Some, if someone heard it now, they'd just be like, first comment. <laughs> um, <laughs> so now after 11 people in a remote Kentucky farmhouse claimed to have been inundated by visitors from another world, in 1955, 17 years later, uh, the phrase Little Green Men took on a rather new meaning. The infamous Kelly incident, as it's known among UFO aficionados, has, alas, at least one dodgy element I feel uh, obligated to divulge to our listeners right off the bat. The little men in question weren't actually green. 
Were they little? They were little. We'll okay. get to that. But they weren't green. They weren't green. That was, they were described as green in the press, but we'll get to that little mix-up. Classic up. press. Yeah, the press situation. the press ran with it. They were very tongue-in-cheek. They, were, they weren't going to be fooled again. <laughs> right. Like they had been, uh, whatever. But but let's the best way to kind of start this story, if you haven't heard it, it's, it's fucking trippy. And it's one of my just... Like, it's one of my go-tos when I'm like, oh, did you ever hear about this? So the principal players in this very bizarre drama, 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 <laughs> the prince, I'm already, I'm adopting the accent. The principal players in this bizarre drama are as follows. We begin with 50-year-old Glennie Lankford. Uh, it's her home where this took place. It was a modest little farmhouse that sat on several acres of land, roughly seven and a half miles outside of Hopkinsville, Kentucky, in the tiny blink and you'll miss it hamlet of Kelly. Her nearest neighbor lived almost five football field lengths away. Uh, staying in the house with her at the time were her son, J.C. Sutton, uh, J.C.'s wife, Eileen, and Eileen's three children by an earlier marriage, Lonnie, Charlton, and Mary. Now, there was no television or radio even in the house. Such things tended to be an extravagance for rural communities of the day. And an old pump well out back uh, supplied water. Mrs. Langford, herself a teetotaler, permitted absolutely no alcohol in her home. Oh. This is an important point, since what she and the others claimed to have experienced would make any rational human being question their sobriety. Right. Well, okay, so where was this town again? This was Kelly, Kentucky. Kelly, Kentucky. Seven and a half miles outside of Hopkinsville. Okay. Now, in addition to the people already mentioned, uh, visiting on the night of August 21st, 1955, were Glynnie's oldest son, Elmer Sutton, his wife, Farah, his friend, Billy Ray Taylor, and Billy Ray's wife, June. Uh, J.C.'s brother-in-law, O.P. Baker, was also staying uh, the night we have. So, basically, we have Glynnie, J.C., O.P., Elmer, Billy Ray, Eileen, Farah, June, Lonnie, Charlton, and Mary. <laughs> That's, I just love saying it like that. That's good. Uh, 11 people. That's 11 people in all. Eight adults, three children, quite a houseful. Yeah. Now, they were all just hanging out, doing what people do to entertain themselves when there's no television or radio in 1955, Kelly, Kentucky. But this was on August 21st, around 7 p.m., Billy Ray, remember, that's Elmer's buddy, he wasn't a family, uh, walked out back to get a drink of water from the pump well. Moments later, he rushed inside, ranting about a flying saucer. He hmm. said he'd seen a silver craft gliding overhead about 30 to 40 feet off the ground. It made no sound, according to him, left a strange multicolored contrail in its wake, and stopped over a neighboring field to the south where it then descended out of view behind the tree line. As best he could tell, the thing had settled into a gully about 100 yards away uh, from the house. At first, the others thought he'd simply seen a meteor and was trying to have a little fun with them. They weren't buying it. Billy Ray, as we'll see, had something of a history of spinning less than reliable yarns. But an hour later... <laughs> Billy Ray! Billy Ray's just That's going surprising. on again about flying saucers and whatnot. But an hour later, uh, when the dog outside started barking in abject terror, Elmer and Billy Ray grabbed their guns and went for a look-see. Strange glow emanated from the direction of the gulch, shuddering amid the tree trunks as if someone were walking between them with a lantern. The dog whined, tucked its tail between its legs, and scuttled beneath the house. The men stood there, wow. squinting in disbelief. The light source turned out to be an incandescent, three-foot-tall figure now waddling cautiously into the yard. What? Its upper body was powerfully built, the arms, long enough to reach the ground, tapered into thin, spidery hands capped with fierce-looking talons. By contrast, the legs were short, 
thin, and apparently without knees. No neck intervened between the broad shoulders and the massive football-shaped head. Two bulbous, wide-set eyes glowed with an intense yellow light, but this was over and above the weird glow that just seemed to come from its body as a whole. The long slit running between its bat-like ears appeared to be a mouth. Elmer and Billy Ray watched in mounting horror as the thing raised its arms, saw them, and began shuffling in their direction. Oh my... Naturally, they retreated behind the screen door and poked the barrels of their guns through the mesh. When the creature got within 20 feet, they fired, both of them. It did a backward somersault, landed on all fours, and skittered away into the brush, propelling itself forward with its arms like an ape. Well, it didn't have knees. It had to do something. Exactly. And they're just shooting at him for no fucking reason. They didn't even say, give him a what for. Well, it's a fucking creepy-ass thing coming towards you. You could say hello. I don't know. I mean, I don't... We're city folk. That's true. <laughs> you got to protect the farm's tent, Jamie. All right, all right. <laughs> it does say no trespassing. <laughs> right. And fucking thing glowing could be radioactive, like whatever. Who knows? Um, a household it flew was the 50s into a panic. Right? So there was... 1955. Oh, so there was the whole Cold War, war scare thing still going and going on. Yeah, Start, yeah It's just starting, true. really. That's true. So the household flew into a panic. Elmer handed off his gun to J.C. and grabbed a 12-gauge just in time for the men to see another creature, similar to the one they'd seen, peering in through the front window. J.C. and Billy fired on it. It, too, flipped backward and darted away on all fours, using its arms like a gorilla. Billy hurried outside to get a look uh, at where the creature had run to, but he was too late. The goblin, as they later called it, had vanished. No sooner had Billy stepped to the edge of the front porch... Then a claw-like hand reached down from the eave and tussled his hair. Eileen, who was standing at the door, shrieked and pulled her husband back inside. Elmer bustled past both of them, took aim for the roof, and just started firing indiscriminately. In the scuffle, Billy noticed yet another one of these creatures perched on top of a branch in the yard. He stepped back outside and just shot at it with the 12-gauge. He, Elmer, and Eileen gawked as the creature simply floated to the ground like a feather, and the second it hit, it scurried away on all fours. Oh my gosh. Now suddenly, another one of these goddamn things charged them from the opposite direction of the yard. Elmer shot at it at point-blank range. He'd later say the bullets seemed to ricochet off these creatures, though he never saw them ricochet, only that firing on them sounded like hitting a metal bucket, and they never left any kind of wound. Um, when they uh, when they fired on yet another one of these creatures that was crawling across the roof, the thing floated gently and deliberately across the yard, landing on top of a fence... Uh, near the mailbox and gorillaed away under a hail of gunfire, seemingly unhurt. So obviously, whatever the hell these things were, they were impervious to bullets. Everyone withdrew inside and waited, because what the fuck else are you going to do? Hunker down. And over the next several hours, these creatures basically laid siege to the house, clambering over the roof and looking in through the windows. Always, the family noted, avoiding the yard lights. Huh. When fired on, or indeed so much as yelled at their glow would briefly intensify. Now, no more than two of them ever appeared at the same time, so there's no way of knowing how many they, there were. Um, were there just two and they were really quick or able to teleport from one place to another, or were there multiples and they were just coming in twos? Who knows? But two, it's, in, it's a, that's a point they made uh, a lot, and that's something that the, the press would fuck up continually, is how many were seen. And the family said, well, there may have been a lot of them. It felt like there were dozens, but we only ever saw two at one time. Uh, when by 11 o'clock, things seemed to calm down a bit, everyone piled into the two cars on hand and drove like hell for the Hopkinsville police station. 
the officers on duty were convinced that these people looked genuinely shaken, so they called deputy. Uh, they called uh, Sheriff Russell Greenwell, who in turn notified the Kentucky State Police. Russell, two state troopers, and all the wit and all the witnesses, but June Taylor, who was by now way too much in shock to go back to the house, drove out to the Langford home. Joining them on the scene were a Christian County deputy sheriff, a staff photographer from the Kentucky New Era, his wife, three MPs from Fort Campbell and a reporter Jeez. from Madison. En route to the farmhouse, the deputy sheriff heard the grinding whine of what sounded to him like distant artillery fire, accompanied by two bright streaks of light carving a path through the sky toward the farmhouse. Now later, he would revise his statement saying he considered these to be meteors, but he might have felt the pressure of the way the press handled this into like right. saying, oh, I was clearly meteors, I never said I saw UFOs. Because right. the press would have a field day with making fun of these people. Now, police, reporters, and curious neighbors descended on the Langford farmhouse like locusts, flooding the property with light. And remember, these creatures didn't really seem to come anywhere near any of yard lights, so this may be why uh, what happens next happened. Now, Greenwell, that's the sheriff, saw no evidence of the unearthly visitors per se, but did find enough spent ammo in the yard to more than back up the men's claims that they'd been firing at stuff for hours. He also found a patch of earth at one corner of the property that appeared to glow when viewed from a certain angle. This was later dismissed as a species of bioluminescent fungus, but that species of fungus isn't known in the area. Uh, Weird. Weird. Having had, having had a UFO encounter of his own several years earlier, the grave Russell uh, Greenwell was inclined to believe the witnesses who were clearly terrified. Alas, the goblins made no appearance for the crowd. By 2 a.m., onlookers and investigators alike lost interest and sauntered off, leaving the witnesses to try and grab a fitful night's sleep. Glenny awoke about a half hour after everyone left to see a faint glow pouring in from the window. She looked up. One of the creatures was staring at her, its clawed hands splayed out across the screen. She yelled for Elmer, who stumbled in half asleep with the shotgun and fired at the window despite Glenny's protests. The creature disappeared, but so began another onslaught. From 2.30 a.m. to just before dawn, the creatures continued to pop up at the windows, never seeming outright hostile, only curious and completely undaunted by guns yeah. <laughs> or yelling or anything else. Now, by sunrise, the creatures had gone, never to return. Local papers ran the story that morning, as did radio station WHOP. Uh, reporters drove in from Kentucky, Tennessee, and as far away as Indiana. Though the Public Information Office would later deny there'd been any official investigation, an officer from Campbell Air Force Base was confirmed on scene the next morning, as were two men from Staniford, a commercial airfield near Louisville, which I think is now the, the commercial, the big airport in Louisville. Mm. Um, Project Blue Book released a statement dismissing the story out of hand as, and declined to look into the matter, listing the Kelly, the Kelly incident as simply unidentified. Uh, and while this didn't stop the Associated Press from swooping down, it did seem to gear reporters and columnists toward a more tongue-in-cheek approach. The new uh, Waco, the Waco News Tribune, rather, for example, ran the headline, Little Green Men Harass Kentucky Farm Family, Cops Probe Spaceship Visit. This, dis this despite the fact that not a single witness described the creatures as green. This is clearly a smirking callback to the little green men of Orson Welles' infamous War of the Worlds broadcast, which by then had become a nearly 20-year-old cautionary tale about country bumpkins uh, uh, not being able to separate fact from fiction. 
the Langford family became a laughingstock. Hmm. Reporting was by and large inaccurate, often characterizing the encounter as, quote, an invasion and exaggerating the number of creatures involved. At least one paper put it at 15. Uh, it also tended to spin these creatures' intentions as hostile, even though that's not, none of the members of the Langford family or the Sutton family said, like, that right. happened. They're like, no, they just wouldn't leave us the fuck alone. So we shot at them <clears throat> with guns that should have blown their heads off. Right, and the fact they didn't respond with any kind of weapons of their own would seem to say they weren't even really defensive. Yeah. Um, onlookers swarmed Kelly in such numbers that cars lined the two-lane blacktop, approaching the farmhouse for miles in either direction. Glenny expressly forbade anyone from making a dime on our property. Local businesses that tried to cater to the crowds were quickly shooed away. <laughs> and, and Glenny was not one to be trifled with, uh, apparently. As reporters clamored for interviews, it became clear that not all 11 people involved that night saw everything. Frightened out of her wits, for example, June shielded her eyes most of the evening. Eileen secured the children under a bed and stayed close by not long after what she'd seen on the porch. Billy Ray, who'd been the first to see anything, remember he's the one who went outside and saw the flying saucer after stepping out to get a drink of water at the well, he came under suspicion after the fact because, by consensus, he was thought to be less trustworthy than the others, more extravagant in his claims. Uh, this is from the family itself. Even with the family, he had a reputation for being kind of a shit, hence why they initially waved off his original sighting as a meteor. Now, whereas Glinny and the rest shunned the unwelcome limelight, Billy Ray basked in it. His description of the creatures grew more elaborate with each retelling. Mm. It's not known the extent, though, to which this influenced local radio host Andrew Ledwith with WHOP, who sketched the creatures for posterity based on his talks with the family. His first sketches arose... Uh, from an interview with the uh, with Glenny and the Sutton women, he later drew another series based on corrections suggested by the men. Uh, but it's important to note that Billy Ray is the only one of the seven direct witnesses to come under suspicion in any way. Glenny Langford and the others declined on principle to cash in on the encounter in any way for the pretty much the rest of their lives, mm -hmm. rarely even granting interviews. Only Isabel Davis, a civilian UFO researcher, managed to get anything out of them. She visited Hopkinsville in 1956, the next year, and spent four days with Glenny and Eileen, by then the only witnesses willing to talk. Um, after a follow-up interview ten months later, Davis began work on what became the definitive account of the Kelly incident, which she published in 1978. Now, Davis, uh, who I've seen pictures of her, and she just looks like everybody's grandma. And I love that she was out in the field doing UFO research. It's just so fucking that's cool. Fun. Like That's yeah. a badass little lady. Davis went a long way in clearing up the avalanche of half-assed reporting that gave the encounter a bad name with the public, going so far as to uncover official documents shedding light on the government's interest in the case. Oh, my. Uh, Why, the government wouldn't be interested in anything silly like that. Well, J. Allen Hynek with Project <laughs> Blue Book, uh, after leaving Blue Book over some controversy in, in, in what Blue Book was doing. Reading her manuscript, considered the and what case... what is Blue Book? Uh, Project Blue Book was the government's in, official investigation into oh, okay. the UFO phenomenon. Okay. And it's thought by many people to have just been a, an instrument of debunking. And the guys heading oh, right. it were just like, swap gas, Venus. Right. You know, and they Weather were really... Balloon. And they weren't experts in the fields that you would think... Uh, you would need an expert in for looking at kind of strange right. aerial phenomenon. <laughs> we were um, testing out a secret weapon that we didn't want you to know about that we're telling you about now. That's what some people think. Yeah. Other people, and at best, it seems to have just been run by some people that were like, that's, I don't believe this shit. Let's, so they would go out in the field, do half-assed investigations so they could say they were there, and then, but then just dismiss everything. So Project Blue Book was kind of a thing. And this guy, J. Allen Hynek, 
worked on Project Blue Book, but uh, if I'm remembering correctly, he left because he didn't like the way they did it, or, or after Project Blue Book disbanded, because they were like, yeah, our work's done, UFOs aren't real, go home, everybody, shop's closed. Uh, <laughs> Hynek uh, would come out later and be like, nah, I disagreed with most of the findings my colleagues, you know, oh, the yeah. upper echelons had. There's a whole thing about him I should do a bit on at some point. But yep, he considered uh, uh, the manuscript that Isabella, uh, Isabel Davis wrote about the Kelly incident to be significant enough that he included the case in his own book, The UFO Experience, which became something of a Bible for ufologists. Hmm. And that, in a nutshell, is the Kelly incident, which is interesting huh. because you have all these otherwise perfectly sane people. They ain't drinking, which presumably right. means they're also not smoking pot or anything else. Right. Um... And they just kind of... Except for Billy this... Ray. Billy Ray was wild card. Billy Ray was really wild card. Well, he's just exaggerating. We all know people like that. He wasn't necessarily yeah. a bad guy, but he was like, no, I tell you, he was he this. And that you know that what they won't tell you is that, you know, I could yeah, see. But right. but he was pretty quickly not taken seriously. But everyone else was kind of like, mm, we saw this. and But they didn't want to talk about it because they very quickly saw the way it was going. Right. And I think they just wanted to fucking forget about it because it was a terrifying thing. Like the men, the other men wouldn't speak about it. Huh. For the longest time, but the reason the case, the reason I know the case is because so I grew up here in Texas, mm -hmm. and my grandparents had a little farm uh, house a little of their own out in East Texas. It wasn't where they lived; it was kind of a vacation home. But the house and the property had been in the family for about a hundred and some odd years. Oh wow! So a lot of relatives out that way, and so we'd go out there on the weekends if the weather was nice, because uh, it was just about an hour and a half drive uh, right. from the town I grew up in. And, you know, that was cool. But while we were there, there was a, there was a natural spring well down this old black top road that led into this little forest. And man, I, as a kid, I remember this forest being so incredibly dense that it was dark in the middle of the day. And oh. it was really spooky. It was a very, very much a kind of, you know, gloomy witches forest kind of deal. And I loved it for that reason because I thought it was so cool. So I'd always, whenever my grandfather was going to take a trip to the well to fill up on some water for the weekend because hell was free, um, I'd, just, I'd go with him, right? And, you know, we, we did this every time. And his mother, who lived in, in the same area where the farmhouse was, she did this all her life. I mean, she'd go out. There's a very frugal woman, so she wasn't about to, you know, buy bottled water from the store. She'd take bottles of her own, go up to the spring well and, you know, fill up yeah. a week's worth, come back. Very industrious woman. And uh, also very humorless. I, I remember her briefly <laughs> as a kid, but also hearing my grandfather describe her as just like she was one of those dour, serious women, grew right. up during the Depression in the South. And it just and never she left just her. just never, like, just never smiled, never laughed, didn't believe, didn't truck with no nonsense. Right. <laughs> it's just a very suspicious, canny woman. And she stopped going to the well. And... My grandfather, my grandfather would tell me the story later because she died when I was very young, so I don't remember. Mm -hmm. It's not like she told me directly, but he told me the story later that he'd, he'd ask her, like, well, Mama, why, why aren't you going out there anymore? Cause she, and then he'd find that she'd actually gone to the store to buy bottled water. Um, and that was, was unheard of. Flagrant. I mean, what the hell? And so she was kind of embarrassed about it, so she'd just kind of offer him a kind of noncommittal answer. And finally, he was like, well, you're driving just fine. You can see you still had your license. Well, she wasn't so old that, you know, her, her, she wasn't able to, to get around. Right. So he was like, well, mama, why aren't you going out there anymore? And finally she said, well, I'm not going out there anymore because last couple of times I went, these little green men just come down out the trees and they blocked my car. And I don't know who they are, but I'm not going to deal with them. And what? apparently the first time, the and she fuck? said it and it was never brought up again. Um, but the details he got out of her was that she had gone up this path 
And he showed me is like where where she said it had happened because we went up there again uh, when I was a little older, and I was like, "This is where it happened." And she said, "Well, it's where she said it happened." And there's this little bend in the road right before you can get to where you can see the spring, as you know, because you know going the right direction. And the trees are very tall. Uh, they're they're the kind of trees that the branches don't really start cropping out until the trees get higher. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of it's there's just, not enough it, sunshine for them to yeah, yeah yeah. So it kind of feels like you're going through some ma massive vault. Uh, of uh, column of pillars, everything, and it's really dark, and even in the middle of the day, as I said, and it's really creepy. And she, he was like, "Yeah," she said, "these little green men would come." I, she said, "Either they'd come down out of the trees, or they came out of the 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 bushes on the side of the road, and they would just kind of come up." And she said, "The first time it happened, they just kind of followed her car." She'd have to drive slowly because this car, it's only a little one lane road. Mm -hmm. So you would to be careful if anyone come the other direction because one of you would have to pull over the side. Mm -hmm. So you'd go slowly and she said, you know, these things just kind of followed her. And she didn't say how many there were, but there were multiples. And she said she just kind of got out the car and they kept their distance. She got some water, put it back in there, keeping her eye on them and drove back. And they kind of like parted as let her to let her go. And she thought, well, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and she came back a second time and she said... Um, like a week later, she came back thinking, well, I don't know what I saw. Someone was playing a joke with a bunch of kids. Who knows? Uh, but the second time she came back, she swore, she swore that she saw it. Now, whether she saw something or was having a weird hallucination or had Bonnet's disease or whatever, um, or Bonnet syndrome, um, bonnet syndrome, I'll explain in a moment. All right. Doesn't, she, she doesn't seem to, this hallucination does not seem to have been a good candidate for that syndrome because of how it, I understand it to work. But, uh, but she said the second time she went up there, these little green men, um, came out of the trees and blocked her car, but then started like beckoning down to it. She said they just like bowed down, like with their hands in the air, and then back wow. down and up and down and up and down. And so she just turned around. She backed out and never went there Don't again. Shit. Yeah. And she would not talk about it at all. And I wonder. Um, for the longest time, I thought, well, I wonder if anyone else has ever had that experience. Because my mom and I talked about this recently. Because she was like, what was that? What was it that, you know, Granny told you about great-grandmother and the well? And I was like, oh, we said this. And she and I remembered the story a little differently. She doesn't remember them being green. And I was like, well, I guess I do. And then I realized, well, maybe that's because I'm thinking of the Kelly right. incident. Which was probably not too long. Like, she would have read about that in the paper. Uh-huh. And probably not... Too long after that is when this thing happened. I think it, the, the the well thing happened before I was born. Right. And I was born in 76. Old. So, <laughs> um, now granted, that's 20 years, more than 20 years after the Kelly incident, but maybe right. she had, I, I don't know. So that was, so I I found the Kelly incident because of that. I'm like, oh, I wonder if there's some connection. What if she saw the same kind of creatures? Or maybe, maybe she... Um, had a hallucination that was kind of fed by her understanding of the story right. as it, as she read it. And maybe, you know, that maybe it was, it's been published other places, not just in newspapers. So she might've read it in the seventies. Right. Um, in like a, you know, a reader's digest magazine. She subscribed to stuff like that. So who knows? Right. Uh, Bonnet's disease is a, uh, I'm, I'm not going to be able to explain it very well, but it's weird. I think I've talked about it before on this show, but it's a macular degenerative disease that happens often in, in older people, usually people that are well past their seventies, and it it's like they're it they're um, the degeneration happens in such a way that their peripheral vision goes first, but their brains like to fill right. that gap in with just random shit. So they'll see things out of the corner of their eye that aren't there, but they're often very vivid things, yeah. and they'll see things like Kermit the Frog or Mickey Mouse, or a Smurf. 
and <laughs> and and they'll be very reluctant to talk about it to doctors because they think they're going they have they have dementia and the doctors like oh no it's not dementia it's actually just it's a macular degenerative disease and our brains are hardwired in a weird way to respond to that particular deterioration in this particular way but it's not a sign of dementia or Alzheimer's yeah so yeah it's called Bonnet's disease and it's fascinating but I don't think that's what she had because she saw them straight on not out of the corner right. of her eye at least if my grandfather's retelling of her story is to be believed yeah but maybe my grandfather was a bit of a Billy Ray himself maybe he was who knows but you can see my fascination with the story yes I mm. can mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's a good story yeah makes you wonder what happened what was going on I know were there two or more I don't know I don't Ooh. know well my story is very similar to it's kind of a legend mm-hmm Urban legend, urban myth, contemporary legend, all of those. Oh, these fascinate me. Yeah, they're pretty good. So they're basically all the same thing. Urban legend, urban myth, urban mm -hmm. tale. It's a modern genre of folklore. They're rooted in pop culture and usually are comprised of fictional stories that are told as if they are true. Think creepypasta. Oh, yeah. Um, what is the other one that they do on the, is it No Sleep? Is that the one where they write the stories? Yeah, I think it's no sleep. Everybody just accepts them as true. Yeah. But they're just stories, right? Yeah. They usually have a macabre humor, humorous elements, and they're used for just plain old entertainment or to explain mysterious events like disappearances, strange objects, whatever. The legends are generally thought to be just stories, but as we've all been learning, sometimes stories can be based on truth. Mm-hmm. So my story is about the black-eyed children. Oh, you know, I don't know much about or the, the black-eyed black -eyed children. Okay. Not the black-eyed peas. Uh, not They're the black-eyed peas. Yeah. The uh, the band and um, the the bean. It's a bean. It's not a pea. It's a bean. Heartbeat. There. It's a legume. It's a legume. It's a legume. There we go. <laughs> so, okay. Black-eyed children are mysterious creatures who supposedly resemble kids between the ages of about 6 and 16. Creatures who appear only in the night when they show up at the doors of unsuspecting residents' homes or cars and ask in breathless and monotone voices to use the bathroom, make a phone call, get a ride home, or grab something to eat. They always ask for permission to come in. Let me in. They have to be allowed in. That's Anyone very similar to like fairy folklore. Uh-huh. Anyone encountering these children always has an extreme and unexplainable sense of fear as well. It's usually the after the scare. Children scare the shit out of me. It's nothing right? unexplainable about that. Yeah. Um, but it is like dread. Like full on, it's like full panic. on panic dread. Like the kind of stuff people feel like say when they saw the Mothman or right, something. Right, exactly. Like that. Something like that. Um, and that's when they realize, after they hit the fear, they realize that the eyes of the children are completely black. There's no iris, no sclera, just blackness. Yeah, that creeped me the fuck out. Yeah, theories about black eyed children variously claim them to be a vampires the whole get, getting permission to come inside yeah extraterrestrials yeah. interdimensional beings or some form of demon so here we go the men in black also do something similar like if they come to your they home like they want a glass of water or something like that not those men in black oh. but the men in black that are that are thought to be otherworldly oh right yeah those men in black. yeah okay so a lot of information on the black-eyed children uh say that they first began appearing in the 1980s that's not true. It seems that the legend originated from a 1997 posting written by Texas reporter Brian Bethel on a ghost-related mailing list uh -huh. relating two alleged encounters with black-eyed kids. Um, 
1996, actually, when the mailing list happened. Uh, Bethel describes encountering two such children in Abilene, Texas, in 1996, a year prior to the posting. The numbers get a little... The posting is actually in a Google Abilene, group. Texas. It's in Abilene, 1996. yeah. That's when my friend was living there. Well, you'll have to Working ask him about it. in the news. It. I'll have to ask him about that. Yeah, because uh, it happened in 1996. He posted it in a Google... Um, a Google group. Okay. Like it was a ghost-themed Google, Google group, yeah. And basically he had sent an email about it out to his friends previously. Mm -hmm. That email went like mini viral. Things were not as viral as they are right now. Yeah. And then... Like um, bulletin board viral. Yeah. And so then he decided to go ahead and tell his story so that there would be a real source of it in uh, on the Google group, right? Mm -hmm. So he said a year prior to the posting, and he claimed that a second person had a similar unrelated encounter in Portland, Oregon. There were a lot of sightings of these things in Portland and near Portland. Bethel's stories have become regarded as a classic example of creepypasta and gained new popularity. Uh, so he published a FAQ just to keep up with the demand for more information about the new urban legend. In 2012, Brian Bethel told his story on reality TV series Monsters and Mysteries in America. He wrote a follow-up article for the Abilene New Reporter News describing his experience and maintaining his belief that it was legitimate. Hmm. So, let's start with his story. Okay. Um, this is from the Google group. This is his original post. Oh, you got to read it word for word. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. Okay. Ghosters. That's how he starts it. Oh, Ghosters. Okay. Here's the second story I posted recently on the ghost story discussion group. I thought you guys would like it. Enjoy! Cross, 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 cross. I don't really know what I'd call this story if I was submitting it for a publication in Fate or something of its ilk. Brian versus the evil, black-eyed, possibly vampiric or demonic, but at least not bloody normal kids. Doesn't have much of a ring to it. Shrug. Smiley face. <laughs> but that's at least an accurate title. As so many things do, it all started out innocently. My internet service presider used to have offices in a shopping center before they moved to their comparatively lush accommod accommodations elsewhere. There was also a drop box at that lo original location. The monthly bill was due, and thus there, but for the grace of the net, I went. It was about 9.30 p.m. when I left. From my relatively isolated apartments, it's about 10 to 15 minutes or so to downtown. Abilene has a population of about 110,000. Right next to Camelot Communications' old location is a $1.50 movie theater. At the time, the place was featuring that masterwork of modern film, Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I drove by the theater on the God, way... God, this is just really taking me down. I'm like, oh my God, having to actually go and pay a paper bill in a Dropbox. Uh-huh. And that's your internet. The irony of that, of like being your how you paid your internet bill. God, yeah, back in the day. No one saw this coming. I drove by the theater on the way into the central, into the center proper and pulled up into an empty parking space. Using the glow of the marquee, shout out, to write out my check, I was startled to hear a knock on the driver's side window of the car. I looked over and saw two children staring at me from the street. I need to describe them. With the one feature, you can guess what it was, that I didn't realize about half until about halfway through the conversation cleverly omitted. How clever. Both appeared to be in that semi-mystical stage of life children get into where you can't exactly tell their age. Both were boys, and my initial impression was that they were somewhere between 10 and 14. Hmm. Boy number one was a spokesman. 
Boy number two didn't speak during the entire conversation, at least not in words. Boy number one was slightly taller than his companion, wearing a pullover, hooded shirt with a sort of gray checked pattern in jeans. I couldn't see his shoes. His skin was olive colored and he had curly medium length brown hair. He exuded an air of quiet confidence. Boy number two had pale skin with a trace of freckles. His primary characteristics seemed to be looking around nervously. He was dressed in a similar manner to his companion, but his pullover was a light green color. His hair was sort of a pale orange. They didn't appear to be related, at least directly. Oh, great, I thought. They're going to hit me up for money. <laughs> and then the air changed. I've explained this before, but for the benefit of any new lurkers out there, right before I experience something strange, there's a change in perception that comes about which I describe in the above manner. It's basically enough time to know it's too late. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> so there I was. A lot filling, of good it does. I know. So there I was filling out a check in my car, which was still running, and in a sudden panic over the appearance of two little boys. I was confused, but an overwhelming sense of fear and unearthliness rushed in nonetheless. The spokesman smiled, and the sight, for some inexplicable reason, chilled my blood. I could feel fight-or-flight responses kicking in. Something, I knew instinctually, was not right, but I didn't know what it could possibly be. I rolled down the window very, very slightly and asked, Yes? <laughs> the spokesman smiled again, broader this time. His teeth were very, very white. Hey, mister, what's up? We have a problem, he said. His voice was that of a young man, but his diction, quiet, calm, and something I still couldn't put my finger on, made my desire to flee even greater. You see, my friend and I want to see the films, but we forgot our money, he continued. We need to get to our house to get it. Want to help us out? Okay, journalists are required to talk to lots of people, and that includes children. I've seen and spoken to lots of them. Here's how that usually goes. Uh, m -m mister can I see that camera? I, I won't break anything, I promise. My dad has a camera, and he lets me hold it sometimes, I guess. And I took a picture of a dog. It wasn't very good because I got my finger in the way, and... <laughs> <laughs> Add in some feet shuffling and or body swaying, and you've got a typical kid talking to a stranger. In short, they're usually apologetic. People generally teach children that when they talk to adults, they're usually bothering them for one re reason or another, and they should at least be polite. This kid was in no way fitting the mold. His command of language was incredible, and he showed no signs of fear. He spoke as if my help was a foregone conclusion. When he grinned, it was as, as if he was trying to say, I know something, and you're not going to like it, but the only way you're going to find out what it is will be to do what I say. These are not the droids you're looking for. Uh-huh. Oh. Uh, well, was the best reply I could offer. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's where it starts to get strange. <laughs> here's where here's it starts to get strange. Yeah. Okay. The quiet companion looked at the spokesman with a mixture of confusion and guilt on his face. He seemed in some way shocked, not with his friend's brusque manner, but that I didn't just immediately open the door. He eyed me nervously. The spokesman seemed a bit perturbed, too. I was still registering something wrong with both. Come on, mister, the spokesman said again, smooth as silk. Car salesman could learn something from this kid. Oof. Now we just want to go to our house, and we're just two little boys. That really scared me. Yeah. Something in what the tone. What could possibly go wrong? Right? Something in the tone and diction again sent off alarm bells. My mind was frantically trying to process what it was perceiving about the two figures that was wrong. Uh, um, was all I could manage. 
I felt myself digging my fingernails into the steering wheel. What movie were you going to see? I asked finally. Mortal Kombat, of course, the spokesman said. The silent one nodded in affirmation, standing a few paces behind. Oh, I said. I stole a quick glance at the marquee and at the clock on my car. Mortal Kombat had been playing for an hour, the last showing of the evening. The silent one looked increasingly nervous. I think he saw my glances and suspected that I might be detecting something was not above board. Come on, mister, let us in. We can't get into your car until you do, you know, the spokesman said soothingly. Just let us in and we'll be gone before you know it. We'll go to our mother's house. That's creepy as fuck. I know. We locked eyes. To my horror, I realized my hand had strayed toward the door lock, which was engaged and was in the process of opening it. I pulled it away, probably a bit too violently, but it did force me to look away from the children. I turned back. Er, um, I offered weakly, and then my mind snapped into sharp focus. For the first time, I noticed their eyes. They were coal black. No pupil, no iris, just two staring orbs reflecting the red and white light of the marquee. At that point, I knew my expression betrayed me. The silent one had a look of horror on his face in a combination that seemed to indicate A, the impossible had just happened, and B, we've been found out. The spokesman, on the other hand, wore a mask of anger. His eyes glittered brightly in the half-light. Come on, mister, he said. We won't hurt you. You have to let us in. We don't have a gun. That last statement scared the living hell out of me because at that point, by his tone, he was plainly saying, we don't need a gun. He noticed my hand shooting down towards the gear shift. The spokesman's final words contained an anger that was complete and whole and yet contained, in some respects, a tone of panic. We can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. I ripped the car into reverse, thank goodness no one was coming up behind me, and tore out of the parking lot. I noticed the boys in my peripheral vision, and I stole a quick glance back. They were gone. The sidewalk by the theater was deserted. I drove home in a heightened state of panic. Had anyone attempted to stop me, I would have run on through and faced the consequences later. Oh, fuck yeah. I I bolted into my house, scanning all around, including the sky. What did I see? Maybe nothing more than some kids looking for a ride and some really funky contacts. Yeah, right. A friend suggested they were vampires, what with the old let us in bit and my compelled response to open the door. That and the we'll go see our mother thing. I'm still not sure what they were, but here's an epilogue I find chilling. I talk about Chad a lot on the mailing list, that is. He's still my best friend, my best ghost hunting companion, and an all-around cool guy. He recently moved to Amarillo, but at the time this happened, was still living in San Angelo of Rampage fame. Then he has a little note that talks about his web series, doesn't matter. I called him and talked to him briefly. He had two female friends with him at the time, both professing some type of psychic ability. I started telling him the story, leaving out the part about the black eyes for the kicker. One of the women, we were on speakerphone, stopped me. These children had black eyes, right? She asked. I mean, all black eyes. Uh, yes, I said. I was a bit taken aback. Hmm, she said. One night last week, I had a dream about children with black eyes. They were outside my house wanting to be let in, but there was something wrong with them. It took me a while to realize it was the eyes. I hadn't even gotten as far as them wanting to come in. What did you do? I asked. I kept the doors and windows locked, she said. I knew if they came in, 
they would kill me. She paused. And they would have killed you, too, if you had let them into your car. Zoiks! He really, he really put zoiks. <laughs> so from this... Yeah, of course zoics. he did. <laughs> so from this extra-long post, we have three unanswered questions. A. What Who did I see? Fuck. B. What would have happened if I opened my car door? C. Why does Chad always get the cool psychic chicks? <laughs> so that's the original story. Okay, and this was 1997 is when this... Went it was viral or kind of went posted. It was originally posted. posted yeah. But it happened in 1996. 1996. Creepy as fuck, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to dissect the story and, and check it out to see how factual it was. Okay. Mortal Kombat was released in August of 1995. And uh, mm, Bethel so said... That checks out because then it'll... Sorry, sorry. Okay, so, so Bethel said this happened in the spring or summer of 1996. He didn't remember a spe- specific date or month. So... He it came out in August. He's saying it came out seven months after. Mm-hmm. And so Westwood Twin Theater matches the description of this dollar fifty movie because mm-hmm. he only gives the uh, street mm-hmm. um, as First Street. Westwood Twin Theater was off First Street, and a review in two thousand twelve said the tickets were two dollars. So it stands to reason this could be that movie theater. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, it closed in 2014 and was reopened as the Radiant Life Church. So if you're in Abilene, that seems to be the location of these black-eyed children. And that was, and Mortal Kombat would have been playing at the dollar show, or the $2 show. At the dollar, yeah. A year later, sure. Well, a year is pushing it. I feel like within six months is more reasonable. They stayed longer for sure back then, but within a year it would be on video. Maybe. Yeah. So what I wanted to look you know, at the weather, just to make sure. So summer would have been stretching the timeline, I think. But in Texas, spring and summer aren't always that different. That's true. On April 5th of 96, though, this I found out in looking Mm -hmm. at the weather thing, Abilene had a freak snowstorm that dumped 9.6 inches of snow. I remember that. It was insane. Yeah. Yeah, and so... That it has nothing to do with anything, but I just saw it and I was like, oh my God, that's so crazy. That is... And it happened around the time he said, so I figured, well, he wouldn't have thought that was spring if it was around then. But I went ahead and looked into early March because sometimes yeah. in Texas, it can sometimes, go. Yeah. yeah. In early March, which would have been around the six month mark after the film came out. Um, and remember, it was insanely popular. It's still oh, the sixth yeah. most popular video game movie uh, huh? ever. So, um, at the beginning of March, the temperatures were in the upper 70s and low 80s. So I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to give him that timeline. It could have been at that time. Well, and, it, and the movie location. was so popular, it's not odd that they'd want to keep yeah. it in theaters before putting it out. Because they did that back then. Like sometimes right. they would wait and they would get they would wait on home video for a while. Yeah. Because uh, some, sometimes they would even re-release it yeah, uh, now, in theaters. Yeah, because now in the main movie theaters, you'll get a month or two. But back then, it would be in the main movie theaters for three, four months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Especially then it would it go to the chart dollar. Topper. Yeah. Then it would yeah. go to the, the dollar, dollar fifty yeah. movie theaters. Ooh. Yeah. So I'm going to give him the timeline. However, he could have just done his research. So we got to remember that too. That's true. According to Bethel, writing in 2013, he had initially shared the story of the encounter just to a few friends from email. And from there, it had been leaked out to the internet. So the Google groups, like I said before, was just him trying to make sure the story being told about him was at least told right by him. Okay. Right. After Bethel's report, Ghost Hunters received many similar 
reports. However, nobody offered any physical evidence, nor were there any reports of hoaxers exposed trying to portray people uh, by pretending to be black-eyed children. Obvious false reports were also making the rounds. But as the story spread, they often shared common elements. It was always night, and often there's a storm nearby. The person encountering the children was just going on about his or her normal activities when they just appear out of nowhere. Hmm. They felt extreme fear and ran away or drove away just in the nick of time. These elements are also very typical of urban legends when they all have the same exact mm-hmm. type of things. Like like the Phantom Hitchhiker urban yes, legends. Yes. And like, like, yeah, there's a lot of those. Yeah. So here are a few more descriptions of the Black Eyed Children. There's usually a spokesperson for the children and they do most of the talking and the controlling. There's usually two to three, but most stories will say two. Some two boys, two girls, boy and a girl. Mm-hmm. It, but it's usually two. The girl's name is Bond. The boy's name is Ignorance. <laughs> They're your children, Scrooge. Sorry. Ah, that's good. Um, <laughs> it's just what I picture in my head. People will start to let the kids come in before they realize they're actually moving. Like Brian with a car door lock, your hand will start to open the door more, or you'll start to step back to let them in. Some people have also reported seeing black-eyed kids that have talons for feet, other demonic attributes. But most sightings are of seemingly normal children. Black-eyed kids are also commonly described as wearing dated clothing or dressing in a manner that is not typical of a normal child their age. Same thing with the way they speak. They speak in a way. Like with weird elocution. Like mature. Very specific, mature diction. And yeah. Yes. Like, like actors. There you go. They will always ask for something. It's always something that involves being close to, in close quarters with you. They'll ask for a ride in your vehicle or to enter your home to use the phone. There are no reported stories of what happens when you let a black-eyed kid into your vehicle or home. All the stories come from people whose eerie feelings made them flee from the children. And a lot of the stories I read had the teller not believing in any paranormal or supernatural business. You know, I don't believe in it. I'd heard about these black-eyed kids, but I didn't think it, you know, this was true. I didn't believe in anything mm. until this night. Yeah. Right? So it's this very much that also very typical yeah. urban le- legend trope. Uh-huh. Another thing I noticed in some of actually my favorite stories that are told is that the children would sometimes change their tactics. So this one woman was telling this story about a kid coming to the door. It was really late. Two kids, little boy, little girl. The girl was the older one. She was the spokesperson. Mm. And she said, um, can we come in and use your phone to call my mom? And it, she started to realize, oh, my gosh, I'm reaching out to open the door. And her, uh, her daughter was sleeping or something. And their dog was, had run away. And she's trying to figure out where the dog went. And she stopped herself. And their heads were kind of down. And she couldn't really see. And um, she said, uh, you know, how, how about I will uh, give me your number and I'll call your mom for you. Mm. And then she said, my little brother has to go to the bathroom. Can we come in so that he can use the bathroom? Uh. <laughs> and then she shut the door in her face and they wouldn't go away for a little while. They just stayed there and stood there. And then they would, then, and this happens a lot too. Then they cross the street and they stand under a light and watch the house or watch the people to see if they're going to let them in. It's really creepy. I want to look. So I'm but looking something up that I remember. Oh, yeah. Okay. That interesting, but that's not. Okay. Made me think of a movie that came out in 1995. 
Village of the Damned, which was a remake mm-hmm. about these children um, that are all like they're born of. It's like weird. It's like this, as I recall, and I'm, I'm getting the story. I'm, I'm maybe getting the details fuzzy, but in both versions of the film, like this little town in the middle of nowhere, all the women suddenly just like pass out. Um, or, or everyone I think passes out and loses consciousness unaccountably for like a day. And then when mm-hmm. they wake up, suddenly all the women are pregnant and then oh. they all give birth to these children that all have like white hair. They're all super smart. They all have elocution and they, their eyes glow. They're not black, but, eyes, they glow. but uh, the eyes glow and they have telepathic powers. But that came out in 1995. Interesting. Just about the same time that uh, our friend here is having this experience. And Interesting. so, and just, so that's something just to curious. keep in mind, yeah. too. Um, and a lot of details in the story of like they're changing the tactics and how they negotiate to get in and that they need something. Right. Um, they need help. They're helpless. They need help. That tends to be something that like the, the good neighbors, the fairy folk did, uh-huh. um, changelings, you know, things uh-huh. of that nature, vampires as well, right. which is like, that's a very old, that's an old detail that goes back to just about every kind of supernatural Yeah, it's used creature. on several different things. Mm-hmm. So um, the stories continue to make the rounds online until February of 2013 when Black Eyed Children hit a fever pitch. A two-minute video episode of Weekly Strange featuring a look at these strange beings was posted to the main entertainment section of MSNBC. Wow. Big deal. (laughs) Wow. Of course, it got a ton of attention, and some of that attention could not figure out why MSNBC, or MSN, I'm sorry, not MSNBC, MSN, um, why them of all places would post a story about a supernatural phenomenon. (laughs) And on top of that, the story wasn't all that great. Like, the, the production... The the Inquisitor noted that the brief lit- video looks like an amateur hour version of Unsolved Mysteries, uh. which details the phenomenon and name drops a handful of conspiracy cryptology websites. File black-eyed children under the same heading as Bigfoot. Believe it if you'd like, but realize that there is no evidence of their existence, just subjective testimony that ranges from the reasonable to the suspiciously fame-whoring. The real mystery, in my opinion, is why this topic made MSN's front page where it started to trend, fooling people into thinking that it's real news. Hmm. Well, and when, when was this? This happened like the... 2013. 2013. It turns out the appearance of the Black Eyed Children video on MSN coincided with the release of Black Eyed Kids, an urban legend-based horror film. Huh. Kind of like, and everyone was seeing clowns everywhere for a while Uh before it came out. Yes. Mm -hmm. There were many stories coming out, but it seemed like a lot of these were marketing or just bandwagoning. Some of the stories are really, really creepy, and I highly recommend reading them. But it seems they're more than likely not true. Brian Bethel, though, swears his story really happened. But the other stories, I wouldn't count on it. Hmm. So, paranormal investigator A. Milhorn offers a psychological explanation, or more than one, for the spread of black-eyed children and similar urban legends. One is priming. So priming is when you read about a phenomenon, you are more predisposed to be Mm -hmm. attentive to it. Reading reports of black-eyed children might make you more attentive to kids and teens seeking your attention in the dead of night. Only an activator stimulus... Did I say that right? Activator? Yeah. Only an activator stimulus that is appropriately vague in the right circumstances sets off the connection between the knowledge in your brain and your senses, hmm. making a false connection between the two and leading you to a flawed conclusion 
that is not supported by evidence. Hmm. Milhorn conjectures that given priming, pareidolia, right, pareidolia, the thing where your brain tricks you into recognizing patterns, mostly uh, faces pareidolia, I don't know how to say it. Spell it out for P-A-R-E-I-D-O-L-I-A. Yeah. Pareidolia. I don't remember. I can If I didn't have to say it right now, I would know how to say it. Um, but anyway, it's when you look into a window and you're like, there's a face in the window. And it's like, no, nah, yeah, that's or, just or a reflection the of The Virgin trees. Mary in this grilled cheese sandwich. Right. It just is, it's a very common thing. Um, so yeah, a face and a frame reference of scary stories. So given the pareidolia, 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 anyway, given that, given priming, uh, and f- a frame of reference of scary stories, people can actually falsely perceive experiences. Mm-hmm. Then consider kids that would be out at night, right? These kids, they're younger, but they're out late at night. First of all, their eyes are going to be dilated because it's night. It's night. Second, children out that late asking adults for help and creeping them out with their very present might be on some sort of drug. A drug that would make their eyes dilate more. And might might force them to speak in a slower yes. manner that kind of, you know, maybe exactly. instead of like, hey, Mr. The Big, hey, Mr. Because right. they're, they're, I mean, overcompensating. they're overcompensating for the, the They lack don't want to of... sound like they're high as a fucking guy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And if you're already primed with these stories, you might project this, that this shadowed, oh. dilated eye you see in the dark, an eye that looks, that might also be bloodshot. So there's more darkness there yeah. is actually completely black. And considering that movie had come out in 95, there's a chance that Brian had the same shit happen to him, right? In Village of the Dam, yeah. In Village of the well, Dam. Well, except in them, the, their eyes are, on, well, at least they're on glowing. the poster, they're glowing. But, but I, I seem to remember the eyes going black at some point in the film. I'd have to go back and possible. look. But if you, if you just think about it, he's primed that these kids are creepy, right? Yeah. He's unnerved by them already, mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. in shadow. It's easier to think they're all black. You know, something's weird about them. He doesn't notice it at first. By the time he realizes they're fucking lying to him, he's because of the movie theater. That, that yeah. movie's already been going on an hour. There's mm-hmm. not another Mortal Kombat. Then he's like, these Shit. kids want to do something. Then these he kids looks are trying at to him. rob me or something. Yeah. And... When he looks at him, he's afraid. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that... Maybe that priming takes over, so, and they could also. I mean, all, and also, and this is this is not as elegant a solution, but the kids could have been wearing uh, contact lenses. Right, those were very popular then, especially like in the goth kids. I mean, those were more expensive for kids yeah. to get, but that's not. It was certainly possible for them I to do that if they're just out trying to freak some guy out. If there a couple of kids and Abilene did that, kudos to them. But I. I don't know, but I feel like now that there's up in a small town and we would have done so shit like that. They were so expensive though back then. They were expensive. They were really, really. They were now expensive. they're not, and they're kind of illegal. You you can buy them online, no problem, but yeah. you're really yeah. not supposed to, and they're terrible for your eyes. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, they're called sclera contact lenses because yeah. they cover everything. They cover the whole thing. That makes my eyes water just thinking I know, about I, them. Oh God, I've never put them on. I can't even wear normal contacts. I can't too. watch people put contacts in because yeah, it makes my much. eyes water. It's too much. I can me. see those. So maybe that's what that's about. Um, <laughs> so, okay. You've got the, the contacts lenses. They're now available online. Not that expensive anymore. And with the stories of these children having sped now spread, now you really do have to watch out for hoaxes. Mm-hmm. 
I say, though, don't let these assholes in your car or your house. Ever. Whether they have, like, whether their eyes are black or otherwise, just don't fucking let anyone in your car that's a complete stranger asking some weird fucking question. Yes. Especially now, it's like, bitch, get a phone, call a lift. Um, now I don't know if they're real or not, but I lean towards not pretty heavily. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm um, with you. I'm with if you. they are real, they're far rarer than Reddit would have us believe. Yeah. All that said, something got my attention, um, after Brian's story is a comment that was written pretty much right after he had his story in 1997. And, uh, here's the story. Um. Brian, thanks for sharing such a wonderfully creepy tale. I can't say I know what these children were. But what I can tell you is that this is not the first story of such creatures I have heard. My great-grandmother, Bridie, was from Donegal, Ireland. (laughs) Now, I fully admit she was a highly superstitious, divinely (laughs) cluey old bat, but man, she could tell a tale. One of her favorites was only told when a new member of the family was born. She always had to check the child's eyes to make certain they were not black. Seems only the changelings of the Unseelie Court, for those of you that aren't into Celtic lore, these are the malicious fairies, had eyes such as that. My grandmother believed in the Shide very strongly, but, as with everything, take this as you will. And keep in mind that it came from a 97-year-old pagan Irish country woman who was also fully convinced that I myself was a changeling from the Seelie Court. Funny, I don't feel like a changeling. From Raven. (laughs) Maybe these kids are just a few displaced changeling children looking for a place to stay forever. And ever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. Yeah. Nice research, Jamie. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, there's a lot behind that, but, you know, it seems to all come from that one guy but then yeah. you when you because it's so funny when you're bringing up all of the changelings and stuff I was like that's my closer <laughs> that's <laughs> great and that's thing. great I love that you went there because I'm like yes it sounds like the shit well and it, I'm like the shit whatever the shit whatever however the fuck they pronounce it there's so many ways um, something Welsh sounding but it's it's funny to me that initially I'm like that's bullshit that's bullshit but then when it's like <gasps> fairies <laughs> if it's from the ceiling it course, well, that's different. If it's from well, it just goes to show you that that we seem whether it's whether whether the experience actually happens or not, whether these black eyed children are a real thing or whether it's just you know we do seem like that kind of incident seems to be something we have been primed for yes. for a long time. Absolutely. Because a lot of these details, they work their way. Like if you go and look at the MIB stories, if you go and mm-hmm. look at like alien encounter stories. Um, you know, what's the common theme among alien greys is that they, their eyes are uh, without pupil. They're usually just flat black orbs or, uh, you know, almond shaped, whatever. And that's usually, it it is, you know, communicating that this is not a human thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's, it's, it's always in the eyes because the eyes are the reflection of the soul, right? Mm -hmm. That's when you can see the soul. It's like there, it's like there's something that we as, as people like very, clever storytellers know like yeah this is something pretending to be human but they can't get every detail right like there's certain details that they just can't get right and so the eyes are one of them because that's the one we respond to the most i think it's it's interesting i think this brian guy probably had an experience and just Mm -hmm. and just but i think he interpreted it i think he had a freaky experience with a couple of weird fucking kids in a parking lot and i think in retrospect he was like and he just you know, I, I think what priming. you said, yeah, I think he priming. was primed and all that, and who knows? And the year My before, only thing with damn this story, come out. 
There were a lot of scary movies that came out in the early 90s, too, in yeah. which people had those lenses on. Right. Like, there were multiples I can think That's of. True. Like, their, uh, Event Horizon was one of them. Like, mm-hmm. all kinds of shit. Because mm-hmm. so it was a very popular effect. When yes. People found those, those uh, when those scl- sclera, sclera lenses yeah. became popular. Man, they popped up in every fucking movie. Right. And so... The only thing about his story that makes me think he might be spinning some bullshit. Yeah. Because there's something you can always tell pretty easily... Um, and, the, and I think that's why these stories usually have a tendency to be believed is because it's just you're most of them you're just at home and someone knocks on the door. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in a parking lot that you're normally in and someone mm-hmm. knocks on the door. It's those stories when they tell you something and it's like that seems very fucking convenient for you to be in that location to see that one thing. Pictures come up like that a lot. It's like why are you randomly taking a picture down this hallway that you've never taken a picture right, of before? And, right. Like that convenient and thing. And it seems weird. Now that's not to say that's not to say that that one. But it is when you're doing something routine, like being at home or something. Mm-hmm. You don't. I think most people when they're telling a real story, they don't remember all the details. Right. right. Um, they may feel the need now. They may feel the need in hindsight mm-hmm. to fill in details so that people believe their right. story. And those details may be completely fabricated. Right. Um, or so that, if they so start that what they give you is kind of a weird mishmash of true and and invention, just because right. they're trying to kind of support their story right. with facts they don't actually remember. And I mean, remember. in his case, he said he sent it in, to, in an email. So pretty quickly, it seems like he wrote his story down. He was telling people about it. He wrote it down mm-hmm. in an email. So he might have more of a memory of it because of that. But my big red flag with him mm-hmm. is that he pulls up under the marquee light to write this check in the middle of a parking lot. Why are you going to go under the marquee light when you are in a parking lot that has lights all over it? Or can you just turn the light on in your car? Or turn the light on in your car. Yeah. Why are you going to a completely a different detail. building than it the one seem, uh, for the Dropbox? It does seem a little bit that's contrived. My big, that's my And I issue. will say, it's also his email is really well written. Mm-hmm. And eh, when it's really well written, it seems composed. It seems like, I think there's some truth to the story, but I think probably, in my opinion, it just boils down to he like saw a couple of kids in the parking lot and the story grew in his mind. It was a weird thing. Maybe one of them was acting kind of weird. Maybe he saw a couple of drugged out kids. Yeah. And then maybe they did want to ride somewhere and, you know, maybe he just, and then in retrospect, he thought like, oh, I need to add to the story to make right. it something more or than maybe just a he was like, experience with some it's kids. It's too late for them to go see a movie now. There's no way that movie's, mm-hmm. he didn't look to see it because, you know, maybe he wasn't right under the lights of the marquee because yeah. that's, there's some, a great visual imagery mm-hmm. there. But, mm-hmm. That's that's my big red flag for that story. Uh, yeah, that's a very convenient detail to have yeah. access to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as far as well-written stories, though, that doesn't mean we want you write, guys to not continue writing well-written stories. We love that. You're oh, no, writing. we love well-written right, stories. Right, right. But, but, I mean, like, we also know, like, when, when something's just happened and you're able to, com- yeah. to write a very well-executed story... Mm, well, I, it raises when, my suspicions. Especially in these urban legends, when all of them are really well written. Mm-hmm. And they all have all of these same elements and they never change. Yeah. That's when it's like, okay, there's this is probably more legend than truth. Yeah. Unless you're in Ireland. Obviously it's true if you're in Ireland. It's also a detail to consider if these if these children were these supernatural beings and have the you know the power of you know whatever they're going to do or whatever they're trying to do, they could presumably see the marquee too and know that their story wouldn't check out. They could right. have gone some other direction, like yeah. you know, hey, 
Um, you know, so that seems that it, 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 that's a good point. That detail of the movie time and everything seems really contrived. It does. Like these are supernatural beings, but they're trying, but they're not really good liars. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe, and maybe his argument would be like, well, they don't have to be. Right. Well, then so I don't know, but that's. Seems weird, but it seems like a little convenient detail. Like as mm-hmm. a, as a writer uh, writing it out, I'd be like, oh, I need something that clues me that clues me into right. these kids are not actually wanting to go to that movie because right. that's an important detail. So ah, here we go. The time's different. Oh, how do mm-hmm. I know that time? Ah, because I'm under the marquee. Oh, and how can I justify that? Well, because I need the light. It yeah. it does seem. It, it feels like how the Game of Thrones showrunners get everyone in the, the places they need them yeah. <laughs> by forcing them to make decisions they wouldn't actually make. Yes. In my opinion. Right. I'm sorry if those of you that watch GOT uh, disagree, but man. Whew, yeah. There's some shit. Yeah. All I mean, right. Maybe so there you go. Yeah. So maybe the, the, little, the little green men weren't green and maybe the black eyed children didn't actually have black eyes. They're guys. just weird They're kids. Just... Drugged out kids. I don't know. Drugged out, or maybe just weird kids. Just Listen weird. Kids. It's Abilene, Texas, in 1995-96. There wasn't a whole lot to do. Drugs. There. That's what I was saying. Um, <laughs> all right. Are you? So thank you everybody for listening. Yes, thank you for listening. Yes, and uh, go to the website. Check out all the shit. Do Buy all some the shirts. Do the reviews. Have a tata. Submit your stories. Follow us. I haven't said where we are. We're on Twitter on at Google Intent. You can follow Michael too. J, yeah. J. Michael Tatum. J. Michael Tatum. Tatum. And I'm yes. Marky Mark. M-A-R-C-H-I. M-A-R-C-H-I. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and then you can go to Instagram. It's Google Intentions. And Michael is J. Michael Tatum. Mm-hmm. And I am Jamie Markey. It's very creative. And then <laughs> you can follow us on our Facebook page, which is the Google Intentions page. I think that's just what it is. Yep. Um, so check us out. We're going to put some of those pictures, I think. Yeah. Up, up. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 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 so are you ready for your quote? Yes. All right. Yes. Let's see if I get it. No one ever made a difference by being like everybody else. My ninth grade guidance counselor. No. Oh, okay. Um, if so, you are very lucky. It's such a vague quote. It could have come from anything. I don't know. But I don't it's know. a good quote. Can you give me a, a little hint? Or is, mm-hmm. it, is it too obvious? Um, not Wolverine <laughs> in this show. So not Wolverine in this movie. So who would the actor be? Hugh Jackman. Uh huh. Okay, but he's not playing. So it's a Hugh Jackman playing. movie, but he's not playing Wolverine. Uh huh. What else has he done? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, kidding. Uh, it's not fair. Now you're thinking of him without a shirt on, and how are you? Yeah, to and focus? I'm so distracted. I'm just like, oh, in my dreams. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Right before he seduces me. He sings um, in it. Mm, he sings in it. Uh, is it Les Mis? No. Okay, because I've never seen it. That's not a quote from Les Mis. I didn't obviously. think so, um, but I've never seen the, the movie version. It's the Greatest Showman. Oh, I haven't seen that either. Is it good? Is it good? I really enjoyed that. All right. Uh, I'll have to check it out. Well, you win. I did, but I liked the quote. It's a good. It is a good quote. Yeah. 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 Nice. Well, All right. Well, check us out next time, guys, and remember, it's, it's okay, okay to sleep, sleep with the, the lights on. on.